turning to our Ephesians series, and starting in Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, and the title of today's message is Laying the Foundations. There was a man once who knew nothing about cars. The only thing he knew was basically how to put gas in it, and that's about it. Anything else, he had to bring it to the mechanic, because he, 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 he didn't know anything about um, anything with auto mechanics. So... He brought his car to the mechanic because it was shaking. It was a busy day in the garage. He was told to sit in the waiting room, kind of get in line because there's a few cars ahead of him. And he sat there until his number was called. And he went up and talked to the mechanic who's going to be fixing his car. The me- he told him, the mechanic, about a month ago, his car had started shaking a little bit, especially at higher speeds. Steering wheel was shaking. The car was shaking a little bit. And he was kind of thinking, I don't know, maybe something wrong with a tire or something, and I'll just get it in its next service. But the shaking started getting worse, and pretty soon it couldn't, he couldn't even get over 30, 35 miles an hour before it felt like he was just about to shake the thing apart. So he brought it in to the mechanic. And the mechanic nodded and said, okay, that kind of gives me an idea of what to look for, and he went out and checked the car out. About 15 minutes later, the mechanic comes back in and says, you're all set. And the guy said, wow, that was fast. He goes, well, what was the problem? He goes, one of your lug nuts was missing, and that loosened the rest of your tire, and the tire was basically just sitting there wobbling on the car. And, and the guy's like, really, that's it? He said, yeah. He said, because you're such a good customer, because you come into us all the time, all we're going to do is just charge you for the part and, and, and let you go. He goes, I took a quick look at your suspension, your tie rods, all that kind of stuff. You didn't damage anything through all this, so... That you should be all set to go. I took it for a test drive, and it's, it's, it's all good to go now. And the customer was amazed at that just that one little thing on the car could cause so much problem. And isn't it funny how one little part not in its proper place can cause so much potential shaking and damage to the car? As I was, as I was uh, reading this story to you, it just occurred to me that do you know what brought down the Space Shuttle Challenger? A 49-cent O-ring. A multi-billion dollar vehicle exploded in during launch because of a 49-cent O-ring failed. In the case of this car, you'd think the other four nuts could take up the slack, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think that you know, if there's four other nuts, one nut shouldn't be, uh, make a big difference. But the engineer designed the car to have five lug nuts, not four. They calculated the weight of the vehicle, the strength of the suspension, the size of the tires, how fast it could go. They calculated all that out, and it spit out, you must have five lug nuts. So that's the way that they designed it. And just as the engineers designed that particular car to need five lug nuts to properly function, God has designed his church with five necessary positions within it. And we're going to read about those this morning. And these these positions form the foundation of the church that every Christian has stood upon since the Apostle Paul's day. And as we continue in our Ephesians series today, we're going to look at these positions, their reason for being, and their function and their necessity, even in our time today. So we're going to start in Ephesians 4, verse, 4, or verse 7, and then um, go down to verse 11. Verse 7 says, But to each of us 
grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Going down to verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll be no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blowing here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. And Father, as we study your word today, we ask, Lord, that you just open up our hearts, open up our minds to receive the truth of your word. Lord, even when your truth challenges us, even when it, it goes against some of our preconceived ideas of how things should be, help us to see the truth of your word, the wisdom of how you built the church, how you designed it to run, and how you mean it to express in today's world. Father God, we thank you and we ask for your spirit to be upon us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, one of the things that we've all noticed is the decline of the influence of the church in the last 30 years or so. Tammy and I got saved in 1993. And it was right around the time after some well-known preachers had, had gone into scandal. We saw that the church rose up uh, several political action committees trying to influence politics and, and protect our rights and our comforts. And we even saw the church, even recently, supporting very failed men in an effort to hold on to our worldly comforts. Much of it, though, much of what we're seeing in the decline of the church, and Conrad and I were talking about this right before church, is that the increase of wickedness has happened as prophesied. It says that in the Bible. In fact, somebody named Jesus predicted it would happen in the end times, in Matthew 24. He said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most would grow cold. There's even a large documentary on a cable channel right now that said it, it exposes a very influential Worldwide ministry is essentially being nothing more than a money-making and influence-making enterprise that does nothing for its people but numb its attendees with emotional music, give them a pep talk, and send them on their way for in life. It's the world system really pointing at the church and saying, you guys are, are so 100 years ago. You guys are, I have no... No place in today's modern world. There's no question right now that the church worldwide and Christianity is shaking right now. Even God said in Hebrews 11 that there will be a shaking. And it's a good thing. Because when you shake something, the weak stuff falls off and the strong stuff stays. And that's what God is doing right now. He's preparing a bride. He's preparing a bride for his son at the rapture. And God doesn't want 
necessarily a stained and spotted church. He wants a, a church that has made herself ready for the bridegroom, a church that has, has dedicated themselves to seeing their faith through, no matter what trials, no matter what tribulations, that we would remain faithful to the end. Jesus said that several times during his earthly ministry, that he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Part of the reason I think that the church is shaking right now, just like that tire on that person's car, is that we're missing some of the tools and positions within the church that Christ designed us to operate with. And we read about some of those a few moments ago. And we'll get into those in detail in a few minutes. So let's start breaking this down. In verse 7 it says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And when we see the word grace in the Bible, it means that God has given us a gift. Remember that grace can be called an acronym that says God's riches at Christ's expense. That God has given us a gracious gift. So you could read that verse to say that each one of us has been given a gift as Christ has apportioned it. That's especially true in the church. The church worldwide was designed to operate in a very specific way with very specific gifts operating within its day-to-day -day life. And one of the reasons that the church is wobbling is because we're missing a few of those gifts. And Paul warned us about neglecting any part of the body. After all, we can't say a person is whole if they're missing both their legs just because they have two arms. We can't say a person is whole if they have no sight but they can speak. There is part of the body missing. And we can't call the church healthy if there is parts of it missing. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but in fact God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If there were all one part, where would the body be? As it was, there are many parts, but one body. So today we'll be briefly discussing these gifts and these offices as vital parts of the body of Christ and what it means for us today. And these gifts that we'll be studying today, you may be, hear them called the fivefold ministry gifts. And they're gifts, in some translation, use the word offices, that Jesus himself sets up to help the church run smoothly. And that word in the Greek for offices or gifts, in this case, uh, means a person who serves. It's where we get the um, English word deacon from the church, as one who, who pours out their life into the church for Jesus Christ. And I want to make a huge point here when it comes to when we talk about ministry or talking about serving in the church. And it's extremely important that we all see this truth. Is that the idea of anyone claiming these gifts for themselves is that many want the title. But the responsibility and the consequences of it, they have, don't want anything to do with. The consequence is you're signing up for a life of service. And it's not a life of fame. It's not always going to be a life of recognition. It's definitely not going to be a life of prestige. And I make this point because many 
in ministry have wandered a bit from the biblical interpretation of these offices in the 21st century. You hear pastors all the time talking about how God is building their ministry, how God is, is blessing them, and, and, and they're, they're starting to get more followers, and they're starting to get um, greater recognition and things like that. And it's critical that anybody who goes into these offices realize it's a position of servanthood. And that lack of realization is the reason that the church worldwide is shaking so bad as it goes through this time. Unfortunately, many in Christian leadership are more worried about big houses, luxury cars, and cushy benefit packages than they are, are about serving Jesus in hardship. And that, that's a tragedy. It's also a tragedy that we charge a person $120,000 to get a bachelor's degree to get a job that if they're lucky when they get out of school will pay them about $24,000 a year on average. There's no way you could pay off that student debt. That's something that needs to be addressed at the college level. That was extra. Let's look at these individual offices or gifts that God has given the church. First, let's look at the apostles. The apostles are those who go to the unreached and establish churches where nobody has established a church before. This is, you can see it, the, the most famous apostle is probably the apostle Paul. We look at Peter a lot because Jesus said on that rock he's going to build his church. But really when we look at it, the person who had the most influence on us next to Jesus would be the apostle Paul because he was the one who went out and spread that gospel throughout the entire known world of his time. What they are and what um, and how that's represented in today's modern day church is the missionary. The missionaries we sent out represent the functionality of the apostle in today's church. But the office, biblically speaking, also carries all these the other four offices with it. I've often heard the, hosp, um, the apostle compared to the hand. For example, if you have a hand, the thumb is the apostle because the thumb can touch every single finger here. Whereas if you try to like touch this finger over here to this finger, you're making some, ah, it just, it doesn't work out to them all. But an apostle can touch every single one of these one at a time or all at the same time. And the apostle carries all of that with him and spreads that out and trains people up in each one of those other offices uh, in order to um, build the church, to put that foundation down. The next group is the prophets. And these are people who carry supernatural messages from God. Now these messages are often what's called forth-telling, meaning they are speaking to a situation in the present that God wants to address and give direction, correction, or encouragement about. Biblically speaking, that's the main job of a prophet. That's their ministry. However, they're most often known for giving messages that are foretelling future events. Now, one small caveat I want to give about the prophetic ministry in our day, that it's a little different than the prophets of the Bible. The prophets of the Bible, none of them had the complete word of God. None of them had the finished Bible that we have today. 
So that office was used a lot more in Old Testament and New Testament times because we didn't have the finished word of God, the finished revelation with God. The church didn't actually get that until about 325 A.D. at the Council of Nicaea. And that means that nothing else can be added to the Bible or subtracted from it. Therefore, a prophet's ministry should be to exhort people to follow the clear teaching of Scripture. An example in our lifetime of, of a prophet would have probably been David Wilkerson of Times Square Church in New York City. If you don't know who he is, look him up. Read, listen to his messages. That is a man with a prophetic gift. He's gone on to be with the Lord a few years ago, but he definitely had a prophetic gift. The next one is evangelists. Evangelists are those who speak the gospel and have an unusually strong Holy Spirit charismatic gifting within them that draws people to them. If you're going to look at it from a secular perspective, they would be the awesome salesperson. They would be the one that could probably sell ice cubes to an Eskimo. Okay, these are, these are people that have that charismatic gifting that, that makes people want to listen to them. And in modern day, and their whole life, their whole life is, is about telling people about Jesus. And unfortunately, sometimes in, the, in our modern day, and especially within our fellowship, we've diluted this title to mean a number of things. What it does not mean, biblically speaking, and I'm speaking from the Bible here, I know that sometimes we, we get our traditions and all that, but biblically speaking, an evangelist is not necessarily a person on TV, even though they're called televangelists. It's not an itinerant preacher who goes from church to church holding crusades and stuff. Not necessarily has an evangelistic um, gifting. Evangelist's whole being is, being is wrapped up in telling the unbeliever about Jesus. And this is probably from the biblical aspect and what the Bible says about these positions is one of the things we need the most today in today's church is the evangelist. The most famous evangelist in our lifetime was Billy Graham. He was a pure evangelist. The only thing he cared about at his meetings and millions and millions and millions of people that he spoke to was bringing them to Jesus, getting them down to the altar, converting them into Christianity, and introducing them to the God who loved them. Billy Graham was, as, was probably the most famous evangelist at our, of our time. Now, the position and the title that the people most often use and know now is that of pastor. Now, the pastor is one who spiritually cares for the flock. Interestingly, that word is always translated shepherd, except here in Ephesians 11. The Greek word poiamen. It's always translated shepherd, except in Ephesians. There's a whole lot of reasons for that, but, but, um, but really that is the job of a pastor, is to shepherd people. And a shepherd or a pastor's ministry is probably best described in King David's description of a shepherd in Psalm 23. You can read that for your homework. You can see what the ministry of the shepherd is supposed to be. 
And what they are is people who guide us into deeper relationships with Jesus and watch over us to keep the spiritual predators at bay. Now, in the modern church, we've misused and misapplied the title of pastor a little bit. We've even ma either made the pastor the ultimate authority over everything in the church, or we've watered it down to mean everybody who works full-time in the church is a pastor. Tammy and I briefly went to a large church for about six months in between our first church and our second church that has now become a mega church, And we went there for about six months, and they had... Gosh, at least a dozen pastors on staff. They had pastors of information technology, pastors of finance, pastors of facilities, pastors of janitorial people, pastors of... Every, and I'm sitting there when I was reading through the welcome packet, and I'm thinking, I'm going, does the mop bucket really need a pastor? It's just a misapplication of the term in my... Humble opinion. I mean, they're not pastors, but for some reason, strange reason in our fellowship, we give them that title anyway. And I also say this. When it comes to ministry in any level, no matter what title you give it, when we place a person, a human being, on a pedestal and give them that title of pastor, and it sounds like I'm preaching against my own position, but, but just hear me for a moment. When we elevate people to a place of spiritual authority, we always run the danger of two things. One, filling that person with pride and making them think, I am the man or woman of God, and my way is the, or the highway, and that's just the way it is. And I've seen plenty of people like that in my, in my almost 30 years of being saved now. Or the other danger is neglecting your role in serving the kingdom because you figure, well, they get paid to do that, not me. Well, Paul addresses that in the scriptures. He says that the function of all of these people in the church is, in verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Our job is to train, not to necessarily always do. Your job is to do. Our job is to train and do with you, of course. And in regards to the pastor, a good shepherd should live for the sheep. Period. And I'm talking biblically here. The pastor is not always going to be the CEO, the president of the boards, or the chief financial officer. A person with a true pastoral gifting is not going to be interested in those things, but only interested in the people and their spiritual health with God. And you say, well, if that's true, if the pastor's not in charge, who's in charge? Well, let me very briefly answer that. In the early church, there's a position not mentioned in Ephesians 4.11, but the position spoken about throughout the New Testament, and particularly in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, is the position of elder. Elders were the ones that were in charge of every single church. And the elders and the pastors are fairly synonymous, with the exception of that when it came to authority in the church, the elder was a person 
who was the leader in the church, while the pastor cared for the needs of the congregation. And I know this is probably new to some of you, but that's what the Bible teaches. And the last office that Paul speaks about here is that of teacher. A teacher is one who is gifted to understand and teach the truth of God's word of the church. Now, sometimes it's strongly tied in with the office of pastor, but it can also be a separate function. In all honesty, teaching is more my gift than being a pastor. I admit that all the time. Teaching can be anything from Sunday school teacher to the child care worker to a teaching pastor in a church. Now, these are the five gifts or offices that we see that are supposed to be within the church universal and even the local church. The fivefold ministry giftings are foundational, meaning the people in these offices form the basis and the, the, the bricks, if you will, that the church is built on. You see the picture I used for today's slide is somebody laying a foundation down there. And, and being very careful in how they build it. Now, when we talk about this, and I mentioned some of the dangers that we have when we elevate people to positions of authorities, one of the dangers is they get a big head sometimes. They insist on titles. They insist on deference. They insist on, on people not arguing with them. And that is very dangerous because the foundation that any ministry, church, fellowship, anything else, should always be Jesus Christ. It's all about him. I'm nobody. It's about him. I'm nobody. It's all about the kingdom. And Paul gives this admonition to leaders in the church in 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 10, when he said, By the grace God has given me, I laid the foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. If any man builds on his foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. This is why when, I, when I'm up here, I always teach what is in God's word and not necessarily what people want to hear or are used to hearing. And that's really the gold that Paul is talking about here. Teaching only what is clearly revealed and seen in God's word. The silver that he talks about is a clean heart dedicated to God and not using God's pulpit and time to promote yourself or a political ideology or anything else um, other than Jesus Christ. The costly stones are the study and prayer that goes into biblical teaching. And ultimately, the heart of the one who stands behind this pulpit, whether it's me or someone else, should reflect a heart or mindset that she isn't just preaching to you. But this whole thing, this whole thing that I made here 
is I give to God and say, God, this is an offering to you. That has to be the heart of any man who's, or woman who stands up here and brings you the word of God. If it's anything other than that, their work will not survive the fire of his judgment that will come when Jesus Christ judges our work at the rapture. And that kind of hard attitude will build a foundation within the listener that will not be shaken by the events, the trials, or the tribulations of this life. That's how you build on the firm foundation, not only in the church, but in your own life. You lift up Jesus, and the rest of it falls in life. And if we meet these kind of foundations, then this promise will come that God's people will be prepared for works of service, will bring the entire body with us into maturity, will attain the full measure of Christ, and will maximize our witness to show the world Jesus living within us and among us. Then all of our lug nuts will be tightened. We won't be wobbling down the road of life missing vital parts of who we are supposed to be in Jesus, as Paul illustrates here, when he says that we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blowing here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunningness and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. I'm going to bring this all together with one final thought. The Bible records that the disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee and a storm blew in. Jesus had told them to go to the other shore and, and he would catch up. Didn't tell them how he was going to catch up, but he was going to catch up with them later. You look at the Sea of Galilee and you look at it and you think, well, how can a storm be that rough on there? But just because of the geography, if you get a north or a south wind, it funnels it and creates almost hurricane force winds on that, that um, body of water. So they're taking on water. They're getting blown left and right. Waves are hitting them all over the place. They were pretty sure at this point the boat was going to capsize, and they were drowned. And then they look up and they see Jesus walking across the water to them. Peter saw this, and he figured being with Jesus instead of in this boat is the best option. And he calls out and he asks Jesus, Lord, call me to come and walk on the water with you. Jesus calls him, and Peter begins to walk on the water. And you notice that he's no longer subject to the wind and the waves, but he's walking over them. But then he looks at the waves and the wind, and he grows afraid and he starts to sink. I want you to notice what Jesus didn't do. Jesus didn't toss him a piece of wood and say, just hold on to this and kick your legs until you reach shore. He didn't say, just take a pill and you won't care about the storms. He didn't say, you need to pull yourself up by your brute straps and suck it up and carry on. Be a man, Peter. No, Jesus reached out and took hold of Jesus. And that's what my, many 
and most of what these different ministries do for us in the church, whether it be the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the evangelist, or the teacher. They're all meaning to be Jesus, to reach up and pick up the downtrodden and prepare them for works of service. No matter how many times we have to reach down and pull a person up, we're to show the love of Christ and continue to guide that person into the ways of God. Many of us here may need that in our lives. We may need to reach out to Jesus again. There's nothing to be ashamed of by saying that you need that again. We're all getting tossed around by the wind and the waves of the evil day that we live in today. Many are struggling with our faith. Many are needing a fresh touch from him. Or maybe, just maybe, maybe it's nobody here but somebody who will listen online. Maybe the love of some is growing cold because of the increase of wickedness that is surrounding us. Many of us just need to take a, a little bit of time this morning and examine ourselves. See if we have any loose lug nuts on our tires. Evaluate which are missing, loose, or doing well. We need our Savior to give us that once over so that we can run our lives in victory during this time.